welcome to the podcast. This is Hypochondriac's Almanac, and I'm really excited to be recording for you folks this evening. I've got my special guest, Darcy, with me today. Say hi, Darcy. Hey, what's up? Sorry, I had to turn the volume up there. I had Miss Darcy on way low. In case I like you're that you call me Miss Darcy like right? I'm a kindergarten teacher. Exactly. <laughs> in this case, you have a lot of knowledge, so you're kind of like my teacher in many ways. <laughs> if you were wondering, this is a podcast for all of you out there who secretly think you have a new disease. Every time you have a sniffle, slight twinge, or a headache, it is not a tumor. It might be some other weird disease, but it's probably not a tumor. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we understand, we identify, and we have definitely scoped out WebMD and Wikipedia more than a few million times. We're here to talk weird diseases, strange illnesses, crazy syndromes, and rare disorders. Before we get started, let's throw out those disclaimers that we have to give you guys, legally speaking, every week, as much as we want to skip it. First and foremost, we're not doctors, nurses, or medical professionals. Please do not take what we say as medical advice. We are not trying to treat you, diagnose you, or fix any of your medical conditions. If you have an issue, be it mental, physical, psychological, emotional, please see a health care professional. Do not guess or take what we say as a diagnostic tool. We just want to talk about all the fun and weird parts of the medical world in the past, present, and future. Let's jump right in. Darcy actually brought this topic to that we're going to cover off on today to my attention. And it's going to be very interesting. But before we jump into that... I have an update on an earlier topic that I discussed in the episode before the last one. I've always been interested in the whole concept of vaping being more safe than cigarettes. And it has recently come to my attention that it really isn't safer. And from the research that I've been doing, they're finding that vaping and e-cigarettes are just as dangerous, if not more dangerous, than regular cigarettes. But I've talked in the last episode about some vaping deaths and serious injuries related to vaping. And there was an article that just came out today. It was on Associated Press. Mike Strobe was the author, and it's U.S. health officials report new vaping deaths and repeat their warning. U.S. health officials on Friday again urged people to stop vaping until they figure out why some are coming down with serious breathing illnesses. Officials have identified about 450 possible cases, including as many as five deaths in 33 states. The count includes newly reported deaths in California, Indiana, and Minnesota. Fucking scary. No single vaping device, liquid, or ingredient has been tied to all the illnesses, officials say. Many of the sickened, but not all, were people who said they'd been vaping THC, the chemical that gives marijuana its high. And many of these victims are teens. So health officials have only been counting certain lung illnesses in which the person had vaped within three months. So they're really trying to narrow down what is causing this, and they have not found a single cause between any of these victims. But essentially what happens is you inhale through the e-cigarette and the body reacts to whatever this substance is that's causing the reaction, and symptoms have included shortness of breath, fatigue, chest pain, and vomiting. The illness, right? It sounds terrific. Let's go ahead and keep vaping. Yeah. The illnesses have all surfaced this year, and the number has been growing quickly in the last few months as states begin to investigate links. Holy shit. It's unclear whether such illnesses were happening before this year, but they're really focusing on them now. The uh, Indiana officials say the person who died there was an adult, but they didn't say when it happened or release other details. 
Health officials hmm. in L.A. are investigating vaping deaths as well as in Minnesota and a couple of other places. Recent attention has been focused on the devices, the liquids, the refill pods, and the cartridges that are not sold in the stores. Part of the problem here is that this is not a heavily regulated industry. And so right. there's any number of different things that could be in this. Cigarettes are very heavily regulated, but they're not regulating mm-hmm. these vaping devices in the same way that they regulate cigarettes. Hmm. But states that have reported vaping-related lung illnesses to the CDC are Arkansas, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Iowa, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Montana, North Carolina, Nebraska, New Jersey, New Mexico. Pretty much all the fucking states are reporting that this is going on. So if you are vaping or somebody you know is vaping, stop. Stop. Put a pause on that shit because you don't know. They don't know what it is that's causing this. And it could be in what you're getting. Now, it's probably unlikely that if you're smoking some sort of vaping device and you continue to follow and use the same brand and the same vaping device, it's unlikely, it's more unlikely that you're going to experience these if you have not during the entirety of the time you've been using the vaping device. But if you switch brands or use a different product, then there is a good likelihood that you might potentially be the victim of some of these really scary symptoms. It is terrifying. Didn't a state just ban... Like all e-cigarettes? I do not know about that. I have not heard that. I want to say like Minnesota, maybe? Maybe Michigan? I I think in light of the scary new details, I I think they should. Either that or like regulate it in a very, very strict manner so that they can figure out what's causing this because that's terrifying. That you could die Um, on the spot from a vaping device. Michigan banned flavored e-cigarettes. Gross. Those are so nasty. And I think there's a variety of reasons why they're banning them. And part of that is because most of the companies that create those products target young children. And we're not talking smoking aged young children. We're talking about 10, 12, 13 year old children that they're targeting with flavors like mermaid tears and lucky charms and donuts and Krispy Kreme donuts and all kinds of other crazy flavors that are very, very highly targeted towards young children. Gross. Right. Disgusting. The main topic that we're going to cover off on the show today, though, is a little fun condition called imposter syndrome. What is imposter syndrome? It is a psychological pattern where an individual doubts their accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. That's sort of the technical explanation for what this is. And I'm getting all my information from Wikipedia, but these individuals who suffer from this syndrome syndrome, despite evidence that they are very competent individuals, they experience this phenomenon and are convinced that they are frauds and they don't deserve anything that they've achieved. Individuals with this particular uh, illness also incorrectly attribute their success to luck. They're like, I'm just a fucking lucky person. It's not because I've worked hard and got an education and studied and, and done everything I need to do. They don't think they're intelligent. And As a result, they think they are deceiving other people into thinking they're more intelligent than they actually are. This research that they've done on this particular illness has a very high prevalence among high-achieving women, although it has been seen to affect both men and women equally. 
Darcy, why don't you tell us a little bit how this is something that's in your wheelhouse? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I just as background information, um, it's been a while since I've been on the show. So I am a PhD student and I'm in my third year and I'm studying biomechanics. So recently I completed a pro or I'm in the middle of a project looking at the effect of a football helmet on neck forces. So essentially what's the difference between getting hit in the head when you're wearing a football helmet versus getting hit in the head when you're just wearing, when you're just in a bear head. Right. And, and the research is not done with humans because you can't do that, but it's done with crash test dummies. So if you had any questions about that, but anyway, so that's my project and we'll attach Darcy's uh, full thesis in the show notes. No, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that would mean I have to write it first. Um, so, uh, anyway, so I, I was accepted to go do a poster at this conference in Canada and typically as a student, like that's pretty much all you expect to get. You just, you get a poster, which means you, you print up your information on a poster. You stand by it for an hour. People come and ask you questions or maybe nobody comes by at all. So that was what I prepared to do. And that's what I expected. And then I found out that I was selected to be part of this graduate student competition where I did a, an eight minute PowerPoint presentation on my research. And the last time I presented this exact same research was like within, 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 within the graduate school itself at my school. And I thought I did so well on that presentation. I knocked it out of the park. I was terrified because I'd never actually done a presentation before. So I was thrilled at how well I did. And I did not get any kind of award or anything, which I wasn't expecting necessarily going into it, but I felt I did really well that I was like kind of disappointed that I didn't get anything. Right. So when I got this, uh, this announcement or whatever that, that I was going to be presenting at this international conference, I'm like, okay, I'm going up there and I'm going to fucking win this thing. I'm not fucking around. I'm actually going to like, I'm going up there to win. I'm not going up there to just get practice and performing. So this is a whole long winded story, but I did, I did my presentation and it sucked. I spoke way too fast. I was about 45 seconds faster than what I'd been practicing with. I felt like you could hear my voice like quivering. I mean like now? No, I'm just kidding. What? <laughs> What'd you say? I said, you mean like right now? Like right I, now? Yeah. I'm kidding. So, so it was awful. Like I texted everybody and I was like, I blew it. That was terrible. And I, they, they asked me questions afterward and I felt like I answered them okay, but I didn't do that great. And then part of the competition was a judge was going to come by my poster and ask me questions. And I only saw one judge of the four even come near my poster and people were at my poster talking to me. So he walked by and didn't come back. And I was like, well, fuck, like I missed my chance. Like this sucked. Was it kind of like a science fair type of a situation with a presentation involved? Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a scientific uh, conference. It's not like a super fun party time, but so I go to the little ceremony on the last day and I fucking won it. It, it blew my mind. I thought I did so bad. And so I was kind of struggling with this. I was surprised. I was proud, but I was shocked. And then it was, okay, it became in my head, okay, well, you won this thing, but you didn't do as well as you can do. So I moved the goalposts on myself. 
And I have recently started trying to journal so I can actually remember things part of that. And then part of it is because I'm trying to like work on my mental health. So I'm journaling and I was writing in my journal and I was like, like literally I wrote in my journal how I worked really hard on this. I prepared and I completely blew the presentation. And the fact that I won simply meant that I was the better of the presentations of the group I was presenting against. It just meant that I was better than the people I was actually against. It didn't mean I was objectively good is basically what my like journal notes said. Right. And the next day he, my, I went into my, to talk to my advisor and I was, I, we were talking about that and a job I'm applying for and how I'm nervous to apply for this job because I'm basically just, once I click submit, I'm basically opening myself up for them rejecting me at this job I really want. Yikes. And so he, he asked me, he was like, what's, what's going on? Do you have like, is it like a bit of imposter syndrome? And I'd never heard of this. You're like, what the fuck is that? And yeah. So I was like, I don't know. And so I, like, I went and looked up that Wikipedia page that I sent to you and I was like, holy shit. It's like, I'm reading my Wikipedia page. Just put your name so, on the top. <laughs> Substitute yes, your name. Like if you were to Google my name, that Wikipedia page would come up. And so that's why I wanted to talk about it because I, the other thing that I do is I didn't realize that I was going through that, but it's not like as if it's a phase, like that's been my entire like scholastic career. And like, I would practice giving my presentation before people that before I went to to Canada and I'm practicing it really because I'm asking them to tell me that it's as bad as I think it is. I'm not asking them for actual positive feedback. I'm asking them to confirm what I already know. And that, that is, this is bad work. (laughs) Yeah. No, seriously. Like you're, you're laughing, but that's exactly what I'm like. I'm like, that was awful. Right. And they're like, no, no, it was good. It was great. Whatever. And I'm like, okay, well that's just because you guys don't know biomechanics. Like I'm giving to my friends who aren't studying biomechanics. You know what I mean? Like it's never, whatever the answer I get, it's never, it never meets my expectations. And that's my kind of dealing with this imposter syndrome. It's not that I'm a fraud. It's not that I'm going to be exposed. It's that my expectations, like I will never meet my own expectations because I'm constantly changing them. It's interesting. On myself, like in the middle of a project. This particular syndrome is not a mental disorder, according to to researchers that are looking into it. It's more of a reaction to particular stimuli and events. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not recognized as any sort of mental disorder, but it's often goes hand in hand with low self-esteem and a sense of failure associated with depression. So check, check. some of the symptoms <laughs> that can accompany this are anxiety, stress and depression. I check, think check, check. in my own opinion, after having known a lot of professional women in my life and women that aren't professional that are, you know, white collar, blue collar, purple collar, whatever collar workers that do all kinds of different jobs is many women struggle with this. I think that it is common and particularly among educated women. I think that I myself can say that at times in my life, I have had the same sort of feelings throughout law school, I kept thinking it's going to, you know, something's wrong. I'm, there's a fluke here. I don't know how I pass this. Mm -hmm. And then when I passed the bar exam, I was like, this must be a mistake. Somebody gave the wrong Mm -hmm. result. I got somebody else's results. I never once did I think, Hey, I've got here because I worked hard and I'm smart and I'm good enough. I always thought number one, either this is a mistake or number two, 
I got there barely and that I need to work much harder because I scraped by by the skin of my teeth and I'm not good enough to really do this like everybody else who's gone through Mm -hmm. all the same steps as me. I need to work harder. And the other thing that I saw in that Wikipedia page that I do is it often talks about, and maybe this is not that page, but, but I believe it is it, you talk, you put yourself in situations where you know you're, you'll fail. Yeah. So that you can prove failing. So you can prove to yourself and everyone else around you that I knew I was a failure. See, I told you. Exactly. And so it, it reinforces how you feel about yourself and it, it, and then say, so that's basically how I feel about this job I'm applying for is it's this very lofty thing I would love to do, but I basically feel I have no chance to, to do it, you know, and this, this conference in Canada, you know, when you get objective feedback, it's never, it never actually like switch it, like changes your mind. No. And you I, al- you always excuse it as a fluke or as luck or as something else. When somebody besides you know, your uh, own hard work, people's presentations weren't very good. It's not that mine was good. It's that they were, theirs weren't very good. And I think this is particularly important to sort of characterize some of the personality types that go along with this. People that are perfectionists often suffer from this people that need to be special or feel like they need to always be the best people with characteristics that kind of always have that Superman, Superwoman type of thing where they need to be number one, people with a very high fear of failure, Mm -hmm. people with denial of their own abilities and discounting of praise from others, and then people that fear and feel guilt about success in their lives, which I find is also very interesting. I, I probably fall into that last one. Um, if any, but I actually talked to my dad about this because he's a therapist. And so I asked him about this and he says that when he was looking it up, it's less that this is an actual syndrome and more that this is a branch of codependency. Right. And I am absolutely codependent. I, I feel bad like asking for things because I need to give something to other people. Yes. Like I need to be doing something for other people. I don't want to ask for anything because that's selfish, even though I will give away my life to do something for somebody else. And that's because of like my childhood and things like that with my sister growing up. Right. And when you have relatives that are addicts, codependency is very, very common. And I know that that's what that is. Not even just addicts, but like high, um, children that are special needs or siblings that mm-hmm. are, um, that need a lot of attention because they have either mental, mm-hmm. physical, or emotional issues can often create this in the siblings of those children. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, and it's it, in my personal experience, it was, you need to be the low maintenance child. And right. I don't like, I didn't have a bad childhood. Like I'm not saying that at all. No. Um, my parents are wonderful. But in my head, I created a scenario where I needed to be the low maintenance child because my sister is high maintenance. Yes, me too. I feel it. Yeah. It seems as though as well, this is reported so much more frequently in women, according to the studies Mm -hmm. done about this particular syndrome. And then it is also something that seems to be very highly impactful of women of color and uh, women that are in the field of academia. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah, they say that that's, that is very both, interrelated. Both of those are me. <laughs> yeah, very, very interesting. And, yeah, and I, part of me wonders, like, how... Because I feel like some of these statistics on prevalence in, in gender with mental health, I feel like some of those are misleading because women are much more likely, and now it is changing, but women have always been much more likely to talk about mental health than men. Yeah. So it could be that women just report these feelings more so than men, but that men still experience them, you know? Well, and I think too, the prevalence of males in the field of academia through the years, women that get, that make their way through college is definitely less than men. And then women that get into the top Mm -hmm. fields, like PhD candidates are like 1% of the academia field that are out there right now. And and it's gotten better through the years, Mm -hmm. but there's always been sort of this pervasive feeling that if you're a woman in the field of academia and a woman of color, that you have to do everything 10 times better because you don't belong there Mm -hmm. and that you have to work harder and that there's this constant fear of failure because men are the ones that have ruled these fields for so many years Mm -hmm. that we, we feel like we don't belong. And in my particular case, I, want to be very clear that I've never experienced any external pressure in terms of that. I've always, I've been very fortunate to work with advisors and mentors who are, if they're not women, which the majority of them have been women, which was a conscious choice that I made. But if they had not been women, they have been men who are secure and that support other people growing and learning as people and as scholars, you know? So I think that's a really big part of it is, is who your mentor is, which is so interesting because it was my advisor who actually pointed this out to me. And I, I emailed him that night and I was like, holy crap. I read the Wikipedia page for my, for imposter syndrome. And it was like reading my own personal Wikipedia page. I didn't tell him about the journal thing because that was so eerie that it was like literally the next day that I wrote those exact words. And then he asked me about that. It was so bizarre. Yeah, I this is very interesting to me because they say that about 70 percent of individuals will experience signs and symptoms of this at least once in their lifetime. Seventy percent of us. Yeah. And it can be a result of a new setting, academic or professional. And it's not uncommon for students entering a new academic environment. Hmm. I wonder if. Are there any statistics on like geographical prevalence? Like, is it bigger in the United, like, is it more reported in the United States or anything like that? Does it say? I honestly don't think that they have done that. This has been something that's been around long enough for them to have done significant studies on it. I don't necessarily see anything on those particular areas. Yeah. It's not in the the diagnostic and statistical manual. I know that, but, but yeah, it was just, it was such an interesting thing that I was like, we got it. Like, I don't do your show very often, but no, here's this because like literally I'm experiencing this right now. Right. Here are some of the well-known individuals who have reportedly experienced this phenomena. Neil Armstrong, Maya Angelou, Mike Cannon Brooks, Tommy Cooper, Neil Gaiman, Tom Hanks, Chuck Lorre, Michelle Obama, Michelle Pfeiffer, Sonia Sotomayor, Emma Watson. I mean, there's some major people. Man, put me in the same group as as um, Michelle Obama and Sonia Sotomayor. Right? I'm, I'm happy with that group. 
<laughs> Seriously, crazy. Um, so as far as what are you supposed to be able to do to manage this? I mean, you're journaling. What mm-hmm. else do you think are effective tools that you can use to manage this and to sort of reduce the depression, the anxiety, the stress and fear that go hand in hand with this syndrome? Honestly, I really don't know. I, I looked stuff up and it all sounded like cheesy, like self-affirmation type stuff that is just so not my personality. Like I'm not going to wake up and put a post-it on my mirror. That's like, you are good enough. Like, I'm not going to do that. Right. I'm not going to be the person that says you deserve this. Like be happy. Like I'm not, I'm not that person. So I don't know the answer. So if some, if one of your listeners knows the answer, um, I'm all ears. Well, <laughs> here's, I don't know. Here's my thoughts on this. Number one, I think the majority of people that are experiencing this syndrome don't know they have it. So yeah. learning about it and knowing that this is something that you are suffering from and that you have a problem with is the first major hurdle that you need to get over in this syndrome. Okay. Yeah. The second thing that you need to do is you need to educate yourself. If you suspect that this is something that you are suffering from, look it up <laughs> Do a Google search online figure it out. There's a lot of information out there about what you may potentially be experiencing. If you do not feel confident and comfortable in that, seeing a therapist or a counselor is a a good step to do as well. Absolutely. They can often lend very useful, very helpful information about any variety of emotional, psychological, or physical issues that you may be suffering from, particularly if it's anxiety, fear, stress, depression. Okay, those are your, your, your first outlets there that you need to go talk to because they can give you a better idea of what might potentially be going on with you and then help you with some very useful tools on how yeah. to minimize the impacts of this on your life. Because in s- some individuals, it can be absolutely crippling. Yeah, I was going to say, especially if your underlying issue is codependency like mine is. Like I actually just made an appointment, but it's not for another month, um, with a therapist because I've had codependency my whole life. And this is the first time I actually realized that it was affecting me in ways I wasn't aware of. And that it actually is like affecting me because before I've always been like, meh, eh, whatever. I'm codependent. I always have been probably always will be. It is what it is. But now I'm like, this is actually like having a negative effect on me. Right. And I think just, you know, as women in general, there are so many instances where in my life in general, people have told me I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't going to succeed, that I'm better off just quitting and giving up, that I should just be a secretary and and things of that nature. That's always been what I've been told my entire life. I'm not saying my parents said that to me, but counselors, teachers, people that I was, and I was always very driven in school. Like I was in the top of my class. I graduated in the top, I think 2% of my class. I strove, always strove to be successful and to get good grades and to participate in every extracurricular activity that I could and to be this extreme overachiever. But I was still told from the jump, you will not succeed. You will never succeed. Hmm. And I don't know if it was a function of where I was from. I grew up in a very small town where people didn't succeed. People didn't get out. I mean, you, they were bus drivers and farmers and things like that. And if you wanted to be an academic, then that wasn't going to happen. They had no mm-hmm. concept of that. So that's sort of what I was working with. And then I think just women in general are always told that, hey, you know, have a family, raise some kids, get married, settle down. This has been our historic legacy that, you know, women mm-hmm. in academia are not, it's, those two things don't go hand in hand, that it's an oxymoron. 
And I think we need to start changing the way we view ourselves. We can do this. We are our own people. We can be successful. We need to take pride in who we are and what we're doing and what we've achieved and not discount ourselves. Because I think that we constantly discount ourselves and tell ourselves that we're not good enough. Yeah. We can do this. We have to believe in ourselves. I know it sounds cheesy and I know it sounds like, oh, that corny mumbo jumbo bullshit. But we have to start thinking differently about ourselves and our path. And we have to start supporting each other, too. There are so many instances where women to each other will tear each other down in a blink of an eye. Right. Yeah. For she's sure. fat. She's ugly. Her hair's bad. She's stupid. I can't believe she said that. Why is she wearing that? She's a slut. Yeah. yeah. We tear each other down. And then the very first thing we do when something happens to one of us is seat. Told you so. She failed. Look, I told you so. We have to stop yeah. acting like that as a culture and as women in general. We need to support each other and be there for each other and straighten that other woman's fucking crown if you need to. And don't sit there and draw attention to it. Help her up. Help her to get where, where she needs to be because it's not the same place that you're going to need to be and nothing that you're doing to help her is going to take away from your own success. Exactly. So yeah, that's a, exactly. an interesting topic and I'm kind of glad you brought it up to talk about because this is, it may not be considered a mental issue, but I think it does go hand in hand with a lot of mental issues like depression and anxiety, mm-hmm. fear, stress, and things that are, that create that within our bodies and it's time for it to stop. It's time for us to figure out how to fix this and succeed. Yeah. All right. I think that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else you want to add? No, you can delete like some of my long winded background story if you need to. I know it's like, I tend to too much information. That's good stuff. I don't think you gave anything that was like long winded and boring or anything. It was all very good information. Anyway, this is the point in the podcast where we say so long, farewell, rate, review, and subscribe to our beautiful little podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, keep them to yourself. No, just kidding. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) I always like to throw that in there. (laughs) Kind of surprise people. Keep you on your toes. Anyway, we love emails. Please send us any emails, suggestions, show comments, anything you want to talk about. We're happy to chat with you guys. We're at hypoalmapodcast at gmail.com. I will drop that into the show notes as well so that you guys can reach out to us if you need to. And please join us again next week when we talk more about strange medical news, conditions, and treatments. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay healthy, keep it real, and always live your very best life. And thank you, Darcy, for guesting on the show. Yay. Bye. Bye, guys.